So let's break it down just a little bit. Verse 1. And maybe, Andrew, you want to put uh, each verse up on the screen as we talk. Verse 1. Aaron's sons, these new priests, uh, they take their censers, which... I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I'm picturing a lightsaber. I don't know. But no, a fire holder. Some, like, I don't know. A fire holder of some sort. And they they put in fire to the fire holder and they add incense. Uh, But the fire uh, was what the NIV calls unauthorized. Or some translations say it was strange. Strange fire. uh, Some say unholy alien, foreign. There's something not quite right about this fire that they put into their censer. Now, there's a a lot of guesses about what makes this fire strange. Why is this strange fire, and why was God not happy with the fire that they put into their fire holders? There's actually, uh, the ancient rabbis had like more than 12 different options that they like wrestled and grappled with about the reasons why this was strange fire. Two of them kind of stand out to me. First, a lot of scholars think that this fire could have been alien in the sense that it was from other cults in other areas around this part of the world. That this, this fire came from somewhere else, it didn't originate uh, here, Uh, This was fire that had been used by cults in other places, which, of course, God would be ticked about that, right? Like, of course, God wouldn't be happy with that. Uh, uh, I can imagine him saying, like, I'm trying to do this new thing through through you. I I want to do this new thing in your midst, a, a better, more just, more holy, more gracious, more peaceful sort of thing. It it's supposed to be different than the things that the other people are doing around you. I'm not like their fake gods, and you're not supposed to be like the people who worship those gods. So why the heck would you start out this new era of being my new kind of people by doing the same idolatrous things that everyone else is doing? Like, why? Why would you do that? I'm, t- I'm doing a brand new thing here why would you go find something else and bring it into my midst that has nothing to do with what I'm doing? Now, of course, that's an option because if you're anything like me, you can get hyped up about an idea, a new, better, more just, more holy, more loving, more peaceful kind of idea, but when push actually comes to shove, I don't really like change. I don't really like things being different. I'm not interested in standing out. I'm fine being just like everyone else. That's how I am. I don't know about you. It's easier that way. If I don't stand out, if I'm not different, if I don't have to change and be a different kind of person. Uh, And so, of course, they tried to keep the status quo. I would probably have done it too. The second way that this fire might have been strange or or unholy is that only the high priests are supposed to handle the fire, and they're only supposed to do it once a year. This is a a specific task for a specific person at a specific time, and these dudes that get burnt up are not high priests. So this was not their task, and this most certainly was not their time. So a lot of scholars see this as a power grab. Like Aaron's sons 
get too big for their britches already, like one hour into their new job. They already think they know better than the boss. Like, they're already, they already know, I'm going to have a meeting with the CEO on my first day at this new, this new job because I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, they're not being content in the role that God has asked them to play in this season of life in ministry. They want to be the high priest. They want the power and the authority, but that's not the role that they were invited and ordained into. And as priests, as blessers of the community, power and privilege and authority should have nothing to do with our ministry. That's not that's not the kind of ministry that we are being called into by God. Now, now it's okay to want a promotion or a raise or a different job or a different career, uh, but how many of us, myself included, have been discontented with our station in life? Never happy, never content, always wanting more, more money, more power, more authority, more recognition, jealous of others that have all that we so covetously desire, never just grateful for the blessings that God is giving us here and now. I I mean, of course, I've never struggled like that. I'm perfectly content and would never grab for more power. But it seems like maybe these guys were doing that. So then, in verse 2, fire comes out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That's, that's brutal. This is a brutal verse. It's really tough, and I, I don't really like verses like that. I'd rather just skip over them really quickly, and in some ways I'm, I'm going to. But it most certainly reminds us that God's not messing around with this new invitation to holiness and faithfulness. Like, this isn't a game, right? He is not messing around. There's a seriousness to following God, and especially if we're going to be a kingdom of priests, if we're going to be a people that are set apart for a beautiful new mission out in the world, uh, then as God's image and mouthpiece, then there's a heightened sense of responsibility for us. And God's not messing around here. Samuel Ballantyne says this, priests who have the privilege of being intimately near to God bear awesome responsibilities. By what they do, priests will either secure God's blessings or evoke God's punishment. Or, Or as Jesus says it, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted much, much more will be asked. Or as Uncle Ben says to Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, there's a lot of biblical truth to that. Right? When, we, when we walk into this new role as God's kingdom of priests, there's a heightened responsibility. There's a seriousness there that as we go into the world as God's agents, as his kind of letter of recommendation to the world, we are, there's, there's a heightened level of seriousness to, to faithfulness. We're not messing around here. This is serious. And the Israelites should have understood that. They've experienced what happens when you don't live in faithfulness. You find yourself in exile, in slavery, divorced from the beautiful intimacy with God that we were created to enjoy. So there's there's too much at stake here, life and death, slavery and freedom, to take faithfulness casually. 
And Aaron's sons unfortunately experienced the bitter fruit of casual faithfulness. And that's why we need rituals, why we need patterns, why we need rules of life to keep us grounded and rooted and planted in our faith. We need deeply specific spiritual rhythms to keep us aligned with God's way. Every little detail matters when you're trying to get your life synced up with God. It's like an alcoholic trying to stay clean and sober, right? You you can't just tell them. I, I would never just tell someone something generic like, just try to drink less and go to a few meetings every once in a while, I guess. Right? You, they don't, that's not what they need. No, the, the details matter for somebody that's trying to battle the, the disease of addiction. The details matter. I go to these meetings and see these people and avoid these places because if I'm not rigid with my rituals, one drink could send me spiraling back to the bottom. And so the same is true for us. This verse isn't meant to be scary or make us walk on eggshells with God, but it is supposed to remind us that the little things matter. The tiny little details matter when we're trying to sync our lives up with God. Our little decisions have large consequences, good and bad. And to take seriously the calling to align our lives around the way of Jesus, even when it comes to the minutia of life. Uh, Okay, that's two verses in. (laughs) We're just sailing along this morning. So uh, then in in verse 3, Moses uh, takes the opportunity to remind people of God's holiness. And and then moving on in 4 and 5, he asks for a few of Aaron's nephews, cousins to Nadab and Abihu, Uh, and has them carry the dead bodies outside of the camp. Uh, They can't be there. Uh, It's an unclean place if they are. So I guess if I ever die during the service, just drag me out and keep on going. I I don't know. I think that's the moral of the story. Uh, Okay, verse 6. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt. And do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. So this, this, their brothers just died, and now this is what Moses is saying. Don't let your hair become unkempt, and don't tear your clothes. Don't grieve. But your relatives, all the house of Israel, they may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Now that sounds a little harsh to me. That sounds a little rough. Like, geez, our our brothers just died and we can't even take time to grieve or even comb our hair, I guess. Uh, but, But I think there's some wisdom here. Moses doesn't tell the community not to mourn. He just tells these relatives that are doing God's work. It's, it's not everyone that has to, to, uh, to be stoic. It's just these two. And so I think as God's priests out in the world, there are times to mourn and there are times to not. I think that's one little nugget of wisdom here. As priests uh, trying to do God's work out into the world, 
there are times for us to grieve and times for us to not. We should certainly mourn, struggle, grieve, be affected uh, at the appropriate times. That's right to do so. And I'm sure that these family members did. When, but when others are looking to us for strength, for a shoulder to cry on, for a listening ear, then the invitation to be put together seems really practical and helpful. It's, it's the reason why I shouldn't have agreed to lead my grandma's memorial service. Uh, I'm a crier, and I, I know that. I know that about me. You've witnessed that. I'm emotional, and I blubbered my way through the whole stinking service, like too much. Like a few tears would have been fine, but this was like... I was, my hair was unkempt, metaphorically speaking. Like, I, I didn't really have it together. And, and to be honest, I wish I could have. Uh, or, and I maybe should have said no, because I maybe should have known I couldn't. Uh, I, I wish I could have been a little stronger. It's honestly something that I need to work on. As someone who will spend my career sitting with people in the midst of their grief and struggle, I need to work on being a strong rock for them to lean on. Do I grieve? Should I have grieved my grandma? Yes, absolutely. But maybe it would have been better to not do it there at the memorial service, to be able to be strong on behalf of others. To be a priest is to know when to be vulnerable and when to be strong, to walk the thin line between allowing ourselves to be emotional and caring and affected by life, but also strong and unaffected enough to be a rock for people when they need us. When tragedy strikes, can we be strong for people? And that might include tears, but, but can we be unaffected enough to actually be a, a source of strength for people in the midst of their struggle. Okay, really quickly through the rest of the chapter. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean uh, and the clean, and so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Uh, Okay, so that God continues to speak to Aaron and offer priestly instructions, I think is is uh, indication that God is really resolute in his commitment to create a priesthood through Aaron. Like if I were God, I might have just said, all right, next family, who can do it better than these bozos? Like you screwed it up in the first minute, but God doesn't do that. He, he is faithful and he is committed to doing this work through this group of people. It's, it's like God is saying, I, I'm doing a new thing here, dang it. So take it seriously. We're in this together. Let's do it right. I'm with you, Aaron. I got you. But we got to do this right. We got to do this the right way because all the little details matter. Now, verse 9 seems pretty obvious, right? Uh, don't go to work drunk, <laughs> especially if you work at a church. All right, got it. 
nailed it. Moving on. But the point, of course, is that we are called to do our priestly work out in the world well. If we're going to do it, if we're going to be God's mouthpiece, if we're going to be mediators of the divine out in the world, inviting people into the presence of God, then let's do it well, without distraction, with soberness. So if anything is going to get in the way, keep us from ministering well, let's avoid that thing like the plague. And let's do whatever we have to do in order to minister well in the world. If there's something that is keeping you from being the presence of God for the people that God has put in your life, uh, get rid of that thing. Uh, You've got to get rid of it right away. Then verses 10 and 11 are really interesting. I would say this, uh, based on 10 and 11, part of our calling as a kingdom of priests is to be revealers both of the sacred and the profane. We reveal things. We bring attention to God's presence and his holiness. We point out the ways that the sacred and the common so often overlap and aren't as uh, separate as we uh, often see. We, We show people the ways in which God shows up in really unexpected places. We reveal that. Uh, And we also help people see the unclean, the unholy, the not good in their lives and in the world so that we can make the proper changes and live in accordance with the way of God. We are revealers, hopefully gently, hopefully in a gracious kind of way, but we are revealers. And then verse 12 begins with this really sad phrase, I think. Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Like they're about to get on with the business of being priests and yet two of them are gone and uh, and they got to move on without without their sons, without their brothers. It's so hard to imagine the pain that Aaron is feeling and yet they have this really sacred task that they need to perform Uh, and so they seem strong enough to keep pressing on. So in verses 12 through 15, Moses is reminding them of the steps. So I'll I'll skip over that. We've kind of gone through the steps uh, of faithfulness here. Uh, And then in verse 16, I think Moses gets kind of harsh with all of them. When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? Like, you kind of went through the steps for everyone else, but you didn't do the final step uh, in really engaging with people in community and engaging with God in this sacred meal that we've talked about in previous weeks. Why didn't you do that? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area as I commanded. Moses is kind of laying into Aaron about why his boys screwed up. Uh, and, and there's some truth to that. There's, there's uh, some goodness to that. But man, he's pretty tough on his younger brother who's just lost two sons earlier that morning. And I think he's probably a little bit too tough on him. But I love Aaron's response in verse 19. It's a vulnerable yet really strong response. Aaron replied to Moses, today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. 
but such things as, as this have happened to me. Like, you know what has happened today, right? Like, you, you saw what happened, brother, right? Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? Like, would that have done, would God have been happy with that? Like, would that have made everything better? Uh, I think Aaron is basically saying, hasn't this day been hard enough? Like, I just lost two of my sons and I have to press on with this sacred ministry and now you're laying into me about not doing it exactly right. Like, I get it, but hasn't this day been hard enough? And then in verse 20, Moses has this beautiful response. When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Uh, He basically says to Aaron, yep, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, you're right. Uh, it's fine that Moses pushes Aaron because it matters. All the details matter. The little details are important. He's challenging him to be a better priest, and we need that. We need to be challenged. We need to be held accountable at times, but sometimes enough is enough as well. Sometimes, especially when we screw up, we just need some time, we just need some space, we just need some grace, and Aaron is courageous enough to ask for that grace, and Moses is a wise enough leader to realize his error. All right, I pushed just a little too far, and he backs off, and he's humble enough to say, yep, you're right. I'm sorry. And to, be, to, be simp- to simply be a kind and caring brother and friend in that moment. Uh, and that's part of our priestly calling as well. I'll end with one final thought. I called this sermon, if you were paying attention in your uh, bulletin, uh, I called this sermon the messiness of ministry because this chapter, this story is most certainly a mess, correct? This is, this is a weird story. Right away as they start trying to live faithfully, two dudes get killed. Uh, it's a, it's a weird, I mean, fire is shooting out from the presence of the Lord, which, what does that even mean? I don't, how, where does it shoot from, and where, I don't, and people are dead just hours after their ordination ceremony. This story is a mess. It's bloody and gory, and it's unfortunate, and it's hard to read, but of course it is. Of course it's a mess. Of course it all gets messed up right at the beginning because God is asking humans to be a part of it. He's asking us to partner with him in ministry and we mess things up. We do all the time. And that's, that's part of it. God is asking humans to stand between the common and the divine mediators of God's holiness. Of course the process is going to have flaws. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be messy. So let's hope that our ministry miscues, our sacred screw-ups, our priestly problems uh, don't Uh, end up with us being literally burnt into oblivion. I hope that that's not our outcome when we screw up. But let's also not let fear keep us from being courageously priestly for the sake of God's kingdom. Let's be ruthlessly committed to the way of Jesus. Let's courageously accept God's call to priesthood. Let's lovingly enter the world as mediators of blessing. And when we mess up, Let's persevere and press on in God's commitment to making all things new. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. 
Thank you for the details of Scripture and how it teaches us. Things that we never would have thought had much profoundness to them uh, can be so significant for us. And so as we seek to go out and be a kingdom of priests out into the world, to mediate your blessing to the world, to to, uh, allow people to step into your presence and your grace uh, in a deeper way, uh, would you remind us that this is serious business, that the details matter, that how we live matters, even in the small minutiae of our life. And when we mess up, would we be able to press on, knowing that you are committed to partnering with us in creating a brand new world here in this place. Amen. Okay, a couple of quick announcements, and then we're going to end with a song. So I invite you to turn to the back of your bulletin, if you would.